This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. Keep listening for actionable tips and tricks to incorporate eco-friendly practices into your daily life. We've been featured by Apple as the number one podcast for conscious consumers, and we can't wait to welcome you into our community of changemakers. I'm Lisa. And I'm Laura. We're the founders of Brightly.eco, the new platform for conscious consumers. We believe in supporting all creatures, great and small. And our team of experts show you how to live and shop responsibly by sharing world-changing lifestyle ideas, products, and more. To read show notes from Good Together and to browse all of the planet-friendly goodness that we feature, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. And to help spread the word about the podcast, tap on this episode and share Good Together with your friends and family. A simple text message helps us grow and create change around the world. This episode is brought to you by Sheets and Giggles. Laura, you've probably heard me talk all the time about my love for Sheets and Giggles. I've been sleeping on their new sustainable eucalyptus sheets for the past eight months straight. I recommend them a thousand percent. Every week I wash them and put them back on the bed right away. They're my go-to sheets. All of my other sheets, even the ethical ones, are taking a long break. After hearing you rave about them for so long, Lisa, I finally got a chance to try their new eucalyptus comforter. So I'm a weirdo. I really like having a comforter on my bed all the time, even when we have the heat blasting. I haven't woken up once hot while I was using this one from Sheets and Giggles. It's a great ethical and sustainable alternative to the down comforter we used to use that's now sitting on our guest bed. Another thing I love about Sheets and Giggles is that they don't use plastic packaging and the materials don't use pesticides, so they're kind to our animal and insect friends. They also plant a tree for each sheet set that is sold, and they're passionate about giving back. They give 10% off to customers who donate their old sheets to homeless shelters, and they have donated over $40,000 to Colorado COVID relief. Good Together listeners get 15% off by using the code BRIGHTLYECO at SheetsGiggles.com. Eaters must understand that eating takes place inescapably in the world, that it is inescapably an agricultural act, and that how we eat determines, to a considerable extent, how the world is used. That quote comes to us from Wendell Berry, a Kentucky-based environmentalist and agricultural activist. Plus, that quote was recommended by today's guest, Lisa Elaine Held. Lisa is the host of the Farm Report podcast and has spent her career writing about how food production and consumption impact public health, social justice, and the environment. She currently writes for publications like Civil Eats, The New York Times, NPR, and more. And we invited Lisa on Good Together to talk about how we as consumers can rethink how our food systems impact the planet. In today's episode, I chat with Lisa about how consumers can support more sustainable food supply chains, how the brand new administration in the U.S. government plans on upending the system with equitable food policies, what her favorite tips are around eating more sustainably every day, and more. Let's get into it. 
Hi, Lisa. How are you doing? Great. Uh, really happy to be here with you. Yes. Um, so Good Together listeners, we're thrilled to welcome Lisa Held to our podcast. So Lisa is currently a reporter, writer, and editor who has a primary focus on the food system. So she, uh, her expertise is in telling stories that show how food production and consumption impact public health, social justice, and the environment. Uh, her work has appeared in numerous publications, including Civil Eats, where she's currently an editor. She's also appeared in Eater, The Salt by NPR, The New York Times, just amazing, uh, you know, a plethora of, of publications. And so we're super excited to have Lisa on today to chat about what the food system actually means when we use those words and how we can potentially reinvent the way that we have a relationship with food. Um, so Lisa, I wonder if you could give our, uh, give our listeners a little bit of intro as to yourself, um, how you got started into your journey talking about the food system, um, and kind of get us going from there, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, thanks for making me sound so good, Laura. <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So I, as as you said, I'm a journalist and um, I actually worked in nonprofits before that and decided I, I wanted to be a reporter. And, and then I worked, I started my career um, in kind of the wellness and health space. Um, I was an editor at Well and Good for a very long time. And um, I really liked that work and, and helping people understand how to eat healthier and kind of incorporate more wellness into their lives. But um, I often thought that we weren't going deep enough. We weren't asking the right questions when it came to food choices and how complicated they are and where our food comes from and the impacts that it has. And, um, you know, I I had always kind of had the DNA of I wanted to be a a hard news reporter. I wanted to go deeper. And so um, I kind of shifted my work away from the, the um, lifestyle, health and wellness space over the over many years and, and started looking into food systems and kind of all of the, the complicated um, impacts that, that are involved and, and what things look like when you sort of um, look beneath the surface of some of the, the um, questions that we tend to ask um, in food media. And so, yeah, as you mentioned, I now I'm, I kind of, I write for all different publications, but uh, Civil Eats is my, my sort of bread and butter. I'm on, technically I, I have a title there. I'm the senior policy reporter. So I do lots of stories for them. And then um, I also have a podcast called The Farm Report, where I interview farmers and other people involved in food production. And I also just launched a Substack newsletter called Peel. Love it. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it's called it's peel.substack.com. And and that, you know, I bring it up because it it relates to my journey in that I want to kind of start to make connections between where I was before in this kind of lifestyle space and where I am now covering news in a more um in a more like hard news format and kind of bridge the gap and talk to people about how to learn about the big topics, but then also apply it to your life. So like, how do you, how do you take all that information and then, you know, make healthy choices or engage in policy and, and, um, you know, actually live differently. So 
that's that's where I'm at. I love it. And I think one of the really important and interesting things that you mentioned, and I think is really um, you know fascinating for listeners, is thinking about the actual impact that our food decisions have on the environment as we think about farming, agriculture, et cetera. So I wonder if you could give you know the audience a little mini crash course on what we like to call sustainable food systems. So what are the kind of important to know terms and ideas surrounding the concept of what we call a sustainable food system? Um, I'd love to know more about that and kind of set the stage. Sure. So I guess what I would say is when we think about food, we often think about the food on our plate. Yep. And maybe we think about the farmer, like the farm uh, that it came from. Potentially, a lot of people do. But when we think about a food system, it's sort of zooming out and thinking about every single step along the chain that starts with, say, the seed. Where did the seed come from, right? Um, And then, you know, the seed is planted on what farm? And then after the farm there, you know, the food is, is processed. And then it's uh, transported and distributed, and then it's sold somewhere. Is it sold at a grocery store? Is it sold at a market? Then it, um, then it maybe ends up at your your kitchen, or it ends up at a restaurant. It, you know, there's just like there's so many steps along the chain, and at each one of those steps, there are a lot of different impacts um, and questions that can be asked. So you know. At every step, there's there are people. So you know, at the farm, there are workers, owners. There are environmental impacts, like you mentioned. Like, how is the soil being taken care of? How much water is being used? Are there greenhouse gas emissions? Um, There are economic questions, like can the farmer make money? Is this even gonna you know? Are they able to make it work as a business and and therefore sustain it? and justice, okay, there's like questions of who are the workers? Where do they come from? Are they paid well? Um, are they exploited? Um, there's just, so so it's sort of like asking all those questions at every step yep. along the chain. And as you can imagine, it, it's, it gets, there's a lot there. Absolutely. Right? Like, yeah, there's so, so much there. And I think, you know, what, what comes to mind for me is how far all of us are away from our our food systems right like 100 years ago yeah. these did not exist um you know people typically would you know farm their own land and their own food or they were really close to it and they would barter with each other and things like that so we've come so far from a technology perspective but we have not really thought i mean we've just lost that connection with our food um and i think from a consumer standpoint, I feel like people look to labels to do this sort of cognitive function for them, right? They're like, okay, I know yeah. that I want to be more sustainable. I want to be picking, um, you know, food that's better for the world. So uh, I'm going to look for organic, right? Like they, that's kind of like the first one mm-hmm. that comes to mind. And I, you know, that of course, that certification is not always available to farmers. And it's also, you know, it, it can be expensive, et cetera. And we don't think about the closeness of the food oftentimes, right? Like we grab an orange, um, you know, in the, well, oranges actually grow in the winter. I'm terrible at this. 
<laughs> we grab <laughs> we grab an well, off season you know. maybe far away though depending go. on where you That's are right. yeah. yeah so you know we grab I was probably just watching I think Bridgerton they have oranges you know in England back in the day that's probably where my <laughs> head was at but anyway we grab vegetables and fruits that are out of season and we just don't we don't blink an eye right so I, I think just mm-hmm. in general to have us have this kind of come to you know, the realization that we need to think a little bit more about this. Um, of course, let's not drive ourselves nutty, but let's think think about this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, I mean, your point about distance from, uh, from our food sources is so important. And I think it's even greater than people realize. It's not even an urban-rural thing. You know, I, I, I was thinking about this right before this call. Um, last year at this time, I was in Iowa reporting a story on um, industrial animal agriculture. And I was driving around Iowa and there, I think in the year before in 2018, there were 48 million hogs raised or sold, you know, if out of Iowa. And I was driving around and seeing these massive confined, uh, concentrated animal feeding operations, you know, CAFOs, seeing them everywhere. And the entire time, I never saw a pig. And I was thinking about that so much, like people live there, people are around. And even if you live in these rural areas, you never see the animal, you never see, it doesn't even look like a farm. And so even if you are in a rural setting, it can be hard to understand what's going on in that barn or what, you know, it's like, it's the, the disconnect is, is really layered and um, deep across the country. Yeah. I mean, and it's, I think in the case of meat, it's really uncomfortable for us to think about because we all like to think about, you know, the, the tasty hamburger or, you know, the, the bacon that we enjoy, but what we don't want to think about is the animal that it came from. Um, And I think, just having that cognitive, you know, com- you know, conversation with yourself, with your friends and family and not having to be a complete Debbie Downer about it, but just saying like, you know, there is a cost for what we're eating um, and, and, and thinking through that. And I love that you you mentioned that part about, you know, even people who might be geographically closer or there's the potential for them to not be thinking about it as well. So I'm wondering since we're so we're just coming off of um the you know new administration here in the United States uh, you know take coming into power. Um, I'm wondering what you feel like is going to happen on the policy level um, to you know foster more sustainable food systems in the United States. Sure. Um, I mean, I think off the bat, it is exciting to have a president who has said that the climate crisis is one of his top priorities, and um, you know has already um, signaled and put down on paper that uh, thinking about agriculture and its link to climate change and, and you know, the environmental impacts of how we produce food is is important. And just just the the acknowledgement of that is a huge change because, you know, in our last administration, um, some of the agencies actually even just erase the word climate change from their vocabulary. Um, So, you know, that alone is like, obviously we should be much further along than just being able to say climate change. Yes, amen. (laughs) Insane threat, but, um, you know, regardless of your politics. But but I think, uh, yeah, the the Biden administration and some of of the incoming um, uh, senators and, and 
representatives are definitely thinking about this issue. And um, some of the policies I think that will definitely be seeing, uh, there's a huge attention to what are called conservation programs that um, are set in the farm bill and a lot of people wanna expand them. And these are ways to essentially pay farmers to um, adopt more environmentally friendly practices. Okay. So plant, like plant cover crops, for instance, that a lot of times, you know, cover crops are a way to keep, um, reduce greenhouse gas emissions, potentially reduce, reduce soil erosion, um, keep the soil covered in the winter when you're not growing food. And, um, it's a huge, they can have massive benefits, but a lot of farmers don't do it because it's added cost, yeah. it's added labor, added seed. And so, you know, the government can pay them and say, if you do this thing, it's good for everyone and, and we'll help you afford it. So I think we'll see a lot of expansion of those kinds of programs. Um, they're very politically popular because they're not regulation. Like, you know, there's a lot of pushback whenever we try to regulate um, the way that food is produced because all of the big companies push back. Um, and then, I mean, I think there's that, that's, I think will be the biggest initial push. Yeah. And then, you know, there, there will be more, um, I, the, Senator Cory Booker has kind of, um, dubbed himself a little bit of a champion for, for food policy, food justice issues. And he's introduced a lot of legislation over the last year that is like super progressive that probably isn't likely to pass anytime soon, yeah. but it's interesting that we're having conversations about it. You know, he has a bill that would put um, a moratorium on building the largest CAFOs, so these, you know, giant buildings that um, house thousands and thousands of animals okay. and have very negative environmental impacts. He has a bill that would uh, increase equity for Black farmers, uh, another that would um, prevent more consolidation in agriculture, which is a huge problem yes. that it, it prevents small farms from, from succeeding. So there, I think there's a lot of momentum that is building right now. And, um, like I said, there are definitely just going to be so many more conversations happening that were kind of off the table yep. over the last four years. Oh yeah, there's there were a lot of those, right? But I, I think yeah. one of the, you know, as we think about the role of government to help push and create change from an even bigger way than even consumers can, I think while there's very, you know, there's there's so many times when senators, congressmen, et cetera, will will propose legislation that probably won't get passed just because of the yeah, I mean the you know the lobbyists and the, the red tape and all of these things, even the appetite of the uh, you know other other uh, you know officials. But it actually, I love mm -hmm. the fact that you talk about starting the conversation because that's exactly what we talk about here on Good Together all the time, which is you know we know that none of us are going to be perfect. We know that you know perhaps this like amazing perfect piece of legislation won't be able to pass you know right now. But it's always good to open up the conversation, start to educate people about why these things matter. And then, you know, there's mm -hmm. obviously, you know, compromises to be made, et cetera. And I think, you know, just the, just understanding the historical um, power of these giant agricultural uh, companies and conglomerates is just 
pretty mind blowing. I mean, you know, Food Inc. There's so many different resources out there uh, that listeners can can check out to understand sort of the systemic system that we're working against to try and kind of dismantle what's going on. Um, but I think the more that we have these conversations, the more that we can start to see our farmers markets as a uh, really powerful way to create change versus like a cute sort of you know brunch activity. <laughs> Uh, the better, right? right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So um, as we talk about like wanting to go towards a more a more sustainable food system here in the United States, and and I'm talking about like on the on the whole, obviously there's going to be micro micro food systems around. Um, but as we think about uh, going towards that that happy happy ending, um, I'm wondering if there's any examples of good systems already out there, whether they're, you know, smaller in the United States or maybe they're uh, global. And um, if you had any examples of that that you could share. Yeah, this is a difficult question. I have been thinking about it and there are, def there are so many examples of, of people producing food in really incredibly beneficial ways. But to point out like a specific system, it's it's tricky. I mean, I think there are examples all over the country of small farms that are, you know, maybe organic diversified production where they're growing vegetables, maybe they have some animals and then they're selling, you know, they're not using chemicals, they're um, building healthy soil, sequestering carbon, and then they're selling their food directly to people in their communities. Um, and they, those exist all over the country. One of the one of the trickiest things is it's very hard to make that model economically viable for the reason you mentioned, yeah. which is you know these big companies that make everything so cheap. And um, so you know to be sustainable, you have to be able to to pay your bills, yes. right? And so that's tricky. Um, I think like you know, if you look at something like the Union Square Green Market in New York, that is this kind of um, group of farmers that are there multiple days a week selling all this healthy, sustainable food. It's been going for decades. It's so many people shop there. Um, I guess like I, I would say like things like that certainly point to like a system that's been built up over time that's sustainable. Um, that the green market there, they've done incredible work bringing back local grains all over New York. Um, I, you know, I would say they're probably, it's not perfect when it comes to equity, like everything is very expensive and um, that is the price of food, but we have to think about um, how to make it more equitable and make, make that food accessible to more people. Um, I will say one other thing I've been thinking a lot about is these sort of new age companies that are aggregating food from a lot of small producers around the country. So one example is with eggs. Um, okay. There's a company called um, Handsome Brook and then there's Vital Farms. And those two are interesting to me. Like they both are working with um, smaller uh, egg farmers around the country that are all raising chickens on pasture, uh, which is so rare. Yeah. Like it's very, very rare. And, you know, they've, they've gotten to this place where 
they've got a supply chain around the country, then you can find their eggs in mainstream grocery stores all over the country. They're more expensive than, than, you know, a standard egg, but, um, but they are kind of getting to this scale, um, that is interesting, but yeah, I I don't know if there's a perfect example. I think like the way I think about it more is, um, I like to look at each each thing that comes across my yeah. desk and think like, okay, what are the impacts? What you know, could we be doing it better? Um, but I do think in general, just um, starting with what's around you locally and like um, looking at the the things that can be grown nearby and if they are being grown, um, how that how that's happening, and then starting there and then like moving out for things that can't be produced nearby, you know, yeah. like coffee or chocolate. Um. This episode is brought to you by Sheets and Giggles, a company with a punny name but a seriously sustainable mission to make better bedding for everyone. We started partnering with Sheets and Giggles earlier this year, and the positive reviews from our community keep coming in. I've been on a hunt for sustainable bedding for a long time now until Brightly actually recommended Sheets and Giggles. I would highly recommend. The material is great. Uh, I personally tend to get hot at night and my boyfriend tends to get cold. So it definitely serves as a happy medium. Highly recommend. I also get hot at night and I found that after sleeping with Sheets and Giggles moisture wicking sheets over the past few months, I can't remember the last time I woke up overheated. I love my Sheets and Giggles sheets. They're my absolute favorite. Not only because they're super duper soft, but they are sustainably and ethically made out of eucalyptus. Yep, I love that our scout Ashley called out how soft the Sheets and Giggles sheets are. Plus, the eucalyptus that is in their 400 thread count sheets is grown without insecticides or pesticides. They also just launched a bunch of new colors, and I can't choose between navy blue and red. Help me! Sheets and Giggles bedding is super lightweight and soft, and they really nail it on zero-waste packaging. We recommend Sheets and Giggles for the softest, most sustainable sleep out there. Good Together listeners get 15% off at checkout by using the code BRIGHTLYECO at SheetsGiggles.com. Yeah, that makes total sense. I That was going to be my next question, which was like, how can we as consumers participate in the creation of a more sustainable food system. So yeah, it sounds like you, we've already touched on, you know, a few things, like you just said, like buying local, if you can, um, if you can't then start to think about, you know, stuff that is, you know, not as far away. Um, I, I'm always like amazed when I look down to see where stuff comes from. I mean, I think that's like step number one, like when you go to grab something, look and see where it's coming from. Like most things are labeled. And I think, even items that I would consider to be grown, you know, closer to home. I'm based in Seattle and, you know, we're, we're fortunate that lots of beautiful things grow here, but I'm shocked sometimes when I look down and it's like grown in like Venezuela or something. And I'm like, what? Like, this is why on earth? And so for me, that's kind of like a signal to put it back because I'm just like, I, unless it's something that you know, is a must have, I'm going to just put it back because it's just, it's not going to work. Um, I also think another thing that I've been doing recently is, uh, just 
kind of having a bit more fun with my food. And that sounds so corny, <laughs> but, but truly I, I just started um, learning how to ferment uh, pickles because I found that I was eating mm. uh, fermented pickles like at the grocery store and they were super expensive. So I looked into it and I just did my first batch and they're amazing. And so for me, it was like having this aha moment of, wow, like I went and I got some organic pickling cucumbers from my local, um, it's not a farmer's market, but it's a, a local grocery store that sources from local farmers. And then I did this and I, I felt very, um, you know, more bought into the food system, I suppose, than I would by just, you know, going to buy something else off the shelf. So I don't know. I wonder if you, if you have any other, uh, just kind of fun tips or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's exactly, um, in line with what, with how, how I eat and, and make my yeah. food choices. I mean, I try to, I try to pretty much buy as much as I can from the farms that I know around me that are, um, are producing food in, in sustainable ways. You know, most of, most of my produce and meat, um, I can get locally, uh, where I live and in, in Baltimore city in Maryland. Um, it's definitely possible. And then, you know, and then when it comes to things you know, distant, I don't think distance is necessarily a problem. It's just, what is it that you're buying yeah. from far away? And, and we, then you have to ask harder questions because I can't look at that person in the face and say, oh, how did you yeah. create this? Right. So then it's getting to know, you know, if it's coffee, maybe you, you get to know, okay, well, um, counterculture is a company that does a really good job giving you stories of where each bag comes from. And, and so get to know a company and sort of make a decision. I'm going to stick with buying this one. Cause I know how they, yeah, how they, exactly. it. um, and you know, labels, uh, you mentioned labels earlier, they can be helpful, but you also have to remember that a lot of labels and certifications are created for marketing purposes. And so, um, I think the organic label is still pretty, um, the, it has some limitations, but overall it's yeah. one of the best, um, that's out there. But I think, um, educating yourself on what the different labels are and how, what they actually mean is a really good step because then you can look for the ones that actually have value and avoid labels um, that are just created by companies to market kind of standard yeah. practices. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, cause they're really there. No one is policing those labels. You can put, um, you can put certifications on things and, and not, uh, nobody will call you out on the fact that it doesn't yeah, mean anything. Yeah, no, that's, we, we talk a lot about labels yeah. and certifications here on Brightly. And, you know, when we choose to feature a brand or a product, we do our best to understand like where they're, the proof of the certification that's coming through, like how the brand actually thinks about producing their product, et cetera. But it is a really difficult, mm. um, it's a difficult business to, to try and get into. And I think, you know, no one is perfect in terms of being able to do that due diligence. So I feel like, you know, even with, uh, you know, safeguards in place, stuff still slips through the cracks. And um, I, it's always shocking to me. I mean, it's, it is shocking and both not shocking that the companies are so willing to be deceptive on the consumer front in order to squeeze out a few more pennies, you know, and to be more quote unquote capital efficient. But it just... I mean, that's, that is capitalism. That is the way that we're, I mean, that's bad capitalism. <laughs> um, that's the way that a lot of companies work yeah. today, but 
yeah, it, it fascinates me how how so many of them do engage in that. So I guess, you, you know, the safest thing to do is to go as direct to the sources you possibly can to have the conversations um, with the with the producers. And I also I like that you touched earlier about sort of the concept of um, environmental justice as it relates to this this topic, because it's one that's all um, that we've been thinking a lot about it brightly recently. And I one way that I feel like, uh, you know, being more uh, choosy about what you're purchasing for your your table is by purchasing directly from a, you know, a, a producer that is, um, you know, that is coming from an area that you want to make sure that you're, you're putting your dollars to good work, right? Like we can make sure that workers have more mm-hmm. equitable, um, you know, wages and things of that nature. Yeah. yeah. Sure. I, and well, and I mean, in terms of like, you know, some, some of that stuff, I think it, it sort of illustrates the, the interaction between policy and, and choice. Like, I think we need to do both. Like, you know, when it comes to wages, I don't know if we could purchase our way towards better wages. We, we That's, still should, yeah, like, I still think, yeah. we, you know, I still, I still think we should like choose the company that has decided we're going to pay our workers well and we're going to prioritize racial justice and, you know, but then at the same time, like we need a $15 minimum yeah. wage to, to protect people, you know? And so it's kind of goes yeah, hand in absolutely. hand. absolutely. Yeah. So I feel like in general, uh, this has been such an interesting conversation. I wonder, so we, what we typically like to do um, towards the end of the, the episode is ask our guests to share sort of one or two actionable tips uh, about living ethically and sustainably that you do every day. So I wonder if you had any tidbits. Sure. Um, I'm a huge advocate of joining a CSA, so community supported agriculture. If you have a farm near you that produces amazing fresh vegetables and you can sign up for a CSA for the whole season, it is such a cool way to engage with food in a new sustainable way because basically you're getting, you know, you're going to get these incredible fresh vegetables all year long. You don't have to choose them. You know, you just go pick them up. They're different. It's exciting every week to see what you're going to get. And it supports the farmer because you're giving them um, economic stability by saying, I'm going to support you through the whole season. And I I think that's a really great um, uh, step to yeah. take uh, when you're when you're getting started with this. The stuff. other thing I'll um, point out what I was going to say I- about the CSA, like I I've, I've joined one before. We need to get on one here because we just moved, but. I love that it kind of pushes you to try different recipes and things, right? Because you, you yes. might be like, wow, what's mm-hmm. a sun choke? Okay, <laughs> let me figure this out. It's super yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah, it makes cooking more fun because you're like, wait, oh my God, I have to figure out how to use this. And you don't just end up eating the same, you know, oh, I guess I'll make yeah. tacos again. Like, you know, you, when you go to the grocery store, you end up buying the same things over and over. Yeah, you know absolutely. Like and, um, <laughs> and then I guess the other thing I would say is, um, composting. So, you know, we've been talking about um, food choices, but one of the biggest issues in the food system as it relates to environmental impact is food waste. And um, not only when when you throw out scraps of food, not only are all the resources that went into growing that food going into the trash, but that food is then also going to a landfill where it's generating methane. Even if it's an organic product, when it's in a landfill, it generates methane, which is a extremely potent yeah. greenhouse gas. So composting is um, 
it's actually not that hard. So if you live in an area where it's, um, you know, where you have a garden and you can do it outside and do it yourself, that's amazing. But I live in a city and um, even in Baltimore, which is a really small city, it's not like New York or, you know, LA where there's a million companies doing cool (laughs) things, but we we have like three options for companies that you can sign up um, and they pick up your compost every week. You just put it out on your porch. They come by, they pick up, a bu- they empty the bucket, they give it back to you. And it's yeah, that's easy. amazing. I'm fortunate to live somewhere where they like our city actually has composting bins, which is amazing. And they'll, they'll pick right. it up. But I think even just the reminder to actually use that, right. I feel like, you know, a lot of, a lot of people get lazy and they just don't, they don't want to compost or deal with it that way. But just remembering that, yes, we can do better with our food waste. And also we can, try and cut down on food waste. We've done quite a few episodes and articles, et cetera, sort of in the Brightly uh, ecosystem about how to cut down on food waste just because it's- mm, And that's even just, better. Just yes, to think about right. it, like meal plan, like, you know, a lot of that stuff is like not the most fun mm-hmm. thing, but once you get in the habit, you will, you know, it's the same thing as making any other new habits, right? Like it takes a little bit to get started, but once you get into it, you'll find that it's just so rewarding to have an empty fridge, like having an empty fridge at a, at a period of time is awesome. Like it's a good accomplishment. Um, I feel like we all yeah. grew up with the, the overflowing fridge and like, you know, I remember reading an article talking about how the the size of refrigerators has actually, you know, increased pretty steadily um, over the past 50 years just to accommodate the growing needs of people who go to Costco all the time, which full disclosure, I like Costco too, but there's, there's things to get there and things not to get. Um, and just, just having, um, you know, having people just think a little bit more about not wasting their food. And it's, it makes so much sense from an environmental standpoint. It makes sense from an economic standpoint. Like don't literally throw your money away in the garbage. (laughs) That's like my soapbox. Don't throw it away, please. Don't do it. That's yeah, such an important point. Definitely. Um, And so I know you're, you mentioned a few companies that you, um, you were kind of tracking that that were using to aggregate, uh, you know, different farmers, uh, sort of like direct to farm uh, food, which is super interesting. I wonder, since you get exposed to so many brands and companies out there, I wonder if there's one in particular that you could share that you you think our listeners might be interested in, like, as, as we think about sustainable food brands. Sure. This question is hard for me because I, it's funny. I do get exposed to a lot of brands, but I, I'm like, a, I try to avoid yeah, brands as much as possible. Yeah. <laughs> like I, buy, I buy a lot of food that yeah. isn't branded. Um, but I will say, um, oh, I know there, there's a company called, um, if you're on the East coast, I think they might sell one in the middle of the country now too. I'm not sure. There's a company called Ma- Maple okay. Hill, um, that does dairy. And, and I have a lot of, um, hesitation around dairy. I don't drink milk, honestly, just because yeah. I don't like it. Like I just never have liked the taste of it. Um, but I do like yogurt, like Greek yogurt. Um, and Maple Hill is a company that, um, I trust implicitly, like when it comes to their practices, they, um, work with small grass fed, um, dairy producers in the Northeast. Um, and I think further on the East coast now, 
and I know the founder and he's amazing and, and their, their products are in a lot of grocery stores around here. And I think you can really, that's awesome. Them. Yeah. I, um, I'm also not a huge dairy girl, except when it comes to cheese, like, oh man, I'm, I'm a, oh yeah. I oh, love cheese yeah. too. I'll, ne- I'll never give it <laughs> I up. Know, it's hard to, it's hard to get away from the cheese. Um, okay. So last question yeah. that we ask all of our guests, but, uh, you know, what is the most exciting thing happening um, right now in the ethical and sustainable movement, in your opinion? Like, what what are you excited about? It's a hard question for me because generally I'm talking, I'm always the downer. I'm always <laughs> like, and guys, like, you know what's happening right now in the world. I love it. <laughs> um, um, no, I, I guess one thing I'll say is um, when it comes to like ethical and sustainable food, um, obviously the past year with COVID was devastating in so many ways and it really impacted the food system in some pretty intense ways. And I guess the thing that makes me excited um, is that it, it does feel like maybe people are paying attention a little bit more than they were before. And, you know, thinking, oh, there are workers that have to process this meat and, you know, they, maybe they read a story about them being exposed to COVID and it made, them think for the first time about, you know, these immigrants who are being paid really low wages to process meat in crowded conditions. And and so there is, I think, um, just more momentum around people asking these questions and paying attention. And and I think that's obviously the first step to um, changing. Absolutely. I think conscious consumerism as a whole was already sort of, you know, on the up before we entered into COVID. And like you mentioned, it's so obvious right now with unfortunately businesses sort of needing assistance or folding left and right just because of the economic situation it's it's so obvious that where you choose to put your dollars as it you know relates to businesses can make a huge difference so totally agree with you uh, so Lisa it's been a, it's been such a pleasure um listeners if you're interested in hearing more from Lisa you can head to um her website um which is lisaelainehell.com where she's got links to all of her uh you know publications and articles but she also has a great podcast called The Farm Report so definitely check that out um I know I'm going to be listening later today and thanks so much for joining us really appreciate it Thanks for having me Laura I really enjoyed it Thanks Thanks for joining us on another episode of Good Together. As always, you can get show notes and explore lots more content related to all things eco-friendly living by checking out brightly.eco slash podcast. And don't forget to join in on the conversation that's happening on our Facebook group. Simply search Good Together Ethical Shopping and it'll come up. You can also leave us a question through voicemail. The link is on brightly.eco slash podcast. If you're into social media, give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, and all of the channels. Our username is brightly.eco. Finally, we want to leave you with a reminder. Every day is a chance for you to create change, and you're already covered for today since you joined us here on the podcast. Stay kind and live brightly.